Welcome to Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast with Elizabeth Crawford, where I dish with trendsetters, tastemakers, and other experts in the food and beverage industry about everything from emerging trends to regulatory pressures to marketing strategies. While Americans are becoming more adventurous in what they eat, they often still need a lot of convincing to try something new, especially if they haven't heard of it before and don't know what it'll taste like, don't know what it'll feel like in their stomachs, how to prepare it, or even as we've seen with many rising superfoods in the past few years, how to pronounce it. That last point is particularly challenging given the notion that many consumers have that if you can't pronounce something, you shouldn't eat it. This logic has led to the undoing of many preservatives and other quote-unquote chemical-sounding ingredients in packaged foods that, with a little ingenuity, many manufacturers have figured out how to remove. But that doesn't mean the logic is sound. There are lots of ingredients and products that are difficult to pronounce that offer great flavor and nutritional value. Think about acai and quinoa. How many different ways have consumers tried to pronounce those two ingredients before they became household words that roll off the tips of our tongues and, for many, are now pantry staples. A closer look at the success of these two ingredients and many other emerging superfoods and cuisines reveals that a common strategy for helping consumers overcome their fear of the unknown is to have someone they trust introduce them to the new food or beverage. This might be a friend, a family member, a dietitian, or even a celebrity with whom the consumer feels connected. Julie Meyer, who you might recall from last week's episode, is the founding partner of the nutrition communication company Eat Well Global, and she calls these people food influencers. And as we hinted at last week, they can play a pivotal role in helping a new food, beverage, or brand succeed. However, the wrong influencer or spokesperson can produce the opposite effect and make consumers feel as though the brand is at best not right for them and at worst disingenuous or inauthentic. So how can a brand know if an influencer will connect with their target consumers and if his or her message is a good fit for their product? Well, as promised, Julie has some advice. Quite a few things we really recommend our clients look at before they decide who they want to work with or how they want to start engaging with influencers. Couple things. First, we really recommend deciding do you want to work with credentialed influencers or not credentialed influencers. If you have a very strong nutrition story, we really recommend that you work with a credentialed influencer. Right now, we're looking at a space where there's a lot of influencers on social media and bloggers and journalists, but they aren't credentialed. And we feel there's a lot more gravitas to your story when you work with a credentialed influencer. So whether that's a registered dietitian nutritionist, whether that's a nurse practitioner, whether that's um, somebody, you know, for example, if you're uh, in Canada, you're working with an osteopath or you're working with uh, a fitness professional who's been certified through IDEA. So working with, with a credentialed influencer, we feel, adds a lot more credibility to your story. Um, thinking about how the influencer is going to impact your brand. So we really see that there are pros and cons, making sure that, um, you know, when you, when you choose an influencer who's going to help educate people, so for example, Chia would be a great example, really having somebody explain, here's what it is, here's why it's good, here's how you use it. Um, something really authentic would be a chef with a nutrition and health background who is able to, to help uh, explain to consumers what it is and how to use it. 
um, but really making sure that it jives. So, um, for example, I was thinking that this, is, this isn't in the food space, but I was watching a commercial for Famous Footwear, and the women were all super empowered, and they were talking about how great they were, and they're going to conquer the day, and they're going to do all these things. And at the end, it's Famous Footwear, and you kind of think, well, I don't know, that doesn't feel like it really jives. So making sure that if you're talking to certain audiences, making sure that your influencer really jives with your brand. So if it's um, something that's focused, for uh, the first thousand days, pregnancy through age two, making sure that you're working with a spokesperson who's a mom, making sure you're working with a spokesperson who's a father, who's a um, pediatrician, or actually really working with that audience. So um, making sure that, that the influencer really jives with your brand and what they stand for. If you're um, a very millennial targeted, or if you're not a very millennial targeted brand, and you start working millennials, it's going to feel a little bit ingenuine. Or if you have a very hot, hip, cool spokesperson, um, but your product doesn't really fit that profile, it can really feel like a disconnect. Um, so thinking about what, what that would mean. Finding the right person to represent your product or brand is only part of the puzzle. You also need to think through how that influencer will best reach and connect with your consumers. For the best results, Julie says company needs to do more than pay for a tweet or an Instagram post, which she warns can be misleading in its results. Um, another recommendation that we make in, in terms of working with health influencers is the idea of creating an advisory uh, role for your influencer. So there's an, an idea now around sort of pay for play. So you uh, have your chia seed company and you want to tell people about chia seeds, so you hire somebody to write one blog post about your chia seed and they you know, post it on Instagram and they get 150 likes and then you pay them and then that's it. There's value to that, but we really feel that creating that advisory relationship, making it a two-way communication between influencers and your brand so that you're able to really develop a relationship with them and get their input because they have a lot to offer. Um, they have an outside perspective that when you're working within your fishbowl of your brand, it's hard to see. So we really recommend having more of a um, dialogue relationship versus a, a sort of one-off. Um, just a word to the wise in terms of social media followers, it's very sexy to think, oh, this guy has, you know, 100,000 social media followers, and da, da, da. Just be aware that people do buy social media followers. So making sure that, uh, that you're really getting the full picture. Um, we do influencer audits so that we can really get the full picture of, of this person, you know, looking at the books they've written, looking at articles they've written, where they've been published, um, you know, what they're posting on social media, and, and truth, are they being really truthful in their amount of status and following because um, now it's not always the case. So you want to make sure you're really working with a reputable one. And finally, Julie says that just like how transparency is important in the food supply and production, it's also important in marketing. This means ensuring consumers don't feel duped by a spokesperson and always understand the relationship between the company and the influencer. We feel strongly that if you are working with an influencer, it's important that that influencer is upfront with their relationship with you. Uh, transparency, as we talk about all the time, is such a key piece of the process in food production. Transparency is definitely key in marketing and communications as well, so making sure that uh, the health influencer that you're working with is open about their relationship with you um, when they're communicating on your behalf.
And we always feel if you're in doubt, disclose it. If you're kind of like, well, kind of, da, da, you know, we feel that that more information, the better. And we don't feel that it distracts necessarily from the message. It just gives the consumer more information to understand where you're coming from. And if you're providing them with great and helpful information, chia seed recipes, uh, great information on the health benefits of chia seeds, then, and they understand, they know that, they're still, they're very, they're still very willing to accept your information. A good resource to review before working with influencers or engaging in social media campaigns is the Federal Trade Commission's dot-com disclosures guidance, which was updated in 2013 to better reflect marketing via social media and online. The main goal of this guidance is to ensure that consumer protection laws are applied to marketers across all mediums and outlines how, when, and where to include disclosures to prevent online ads from being deceptive or unfair. It's also jam-packed with examples, most of which demonstrate Julie's main message about being upfront at the beginning about the relationship. Failing to properly disclose the company's relationship with an influencer when necessary is only one of the several common mistakes that Julie says she sees when brands team with the spokesperson. I think, I, I think the three common mistakes I see is working with influencers and it being... Um, not a mutually beneficial relationship. So I think the two-way dialogue that I was talking about before I think is really important so that the influencer is able to uh, communicate their thoughts and feelings about the brand, the brand is able to communicate with them, and then ultimately the influencer is able to communicate with the consumer in a really authentic way. So I think creating open communication. A second thing I see is just being tone deaf is hiring the wrong influencer for your product. And generally how I've seen it go down is when it's a sort of stodgy product that hires a very hip and cool um, uh, influencer and it doesn't feel like a very genuine fit and that people can see right through that. I say the third thing is, um, the third thing I would say really is missed opportunities. I think there are a lot of opportunities for for companies to engage with influencers in ways that are different than you'd expect. I think we sort of think of it as a traditional social media influencer, but also there's uh, opportunities for education, so educating dietitians and nutritionists on uh, your topic on chia seeds, let's say, whether through a webinar or through education opportunities. Um, there are ways to uh, engage, let's say, with fitness professionals or other people who are talking about health and nutrition. And I think there are a lot of missed opportunities out there, um, ways that companies can really think of using health influencers. I think that's interesting because you're right. I always think of social media influencers, and I really think of celebrities, but now a lot of grocery stores are hiring registered dietitians to come in and create recipes and show their consumers how to use different products. Is that an opportunity that you think brands could explore more or is that a hard route to use? Definitely. The International Food Information Council that 70% of consumers trusted registered dietitians when it came to uh, providing accurate information on food safety and on the types of food to eat. So dietitians do continue to be a very, uh, a very, a very reputable and credible um, source of information. And retail dietitians are fantastic because they're right in the store. They're able to take you to the location to see the product. Um, I heard great stories about now retailers that are having a whole area where they help you. You can come on the weekend and uh, cook your food there at the grocery store. They have stations, and you can 
uh, get your food, cook it, bag it, and take it home with you. So um, there's that opportunity, and then also education opportunities that are happening happening in retail. Definitely retail dietitians, I would say, are a big area. And the other area really is telehealth. So now people are much more likely to have dietitians or health coaches or people that they're working with directly via um, tele via telehealth, what is what they call it. So there's an online coach who you know you send your food over to, or um, Nutramom is a program that works with moms in their first thousand days. So you have a registered dietitian um, health coach who helps counsel you on how to prevent morning sickness and how to uh, eat well for your baby. Um, so I think there's, there's some opportunities in telehealth um, as well as in retail space. And um, the third area I would say is um, diabetes. Honestly, uh, we are seeing record non-stopping growth in diabetes. So uh, within the diabetes area, influencers include dietitians, but also diabetes um, educators and uh, diet nurses that are focused in the diabetes area are often helping um, patients uh, learn how to eat well and, and deal with their diabetes. So I think within the diabetic area, in the diabetes area, there's some opportunities also to, to talk to influencers and products that you might not even be thinking of. Um, you know, that could be a real niche market, especially with the low sugar. Who to select as a food influencer and how to most effectively use that person also depends on where the product is marketed. Julie explains that Americans' acceptance of food influencers is much greater than in Europe, and that who people listen to varies in the U.S., Europe, and other parts of the world. As we've been speaking, I've really been talking about what happens here in the U.S. around working with health influencers, but I think it's really important to work with teams in different countries when you're looking to work with international influencers. Because, for example, here in the U.S., what we described is very common, right? Having a spokesperson who's credible, who's working uh, in social media on your behalf, who's working educating other uh, other influencers. So that's a that's very uh, common. It's a practice that we're comfortable with. However, in Europe, it's quite different. Europe, the idea of a nutrition spokesperson who's out speaking on your behalf is something that isn't met necessarily with the same amount of openness as it is here. There are different ways and other ways to work with influencer audiences, um, but it's really important to have somebody on the ground who can really help advise you uh, if you're an American company operating, let's say, in Europe. Similarly, if you're a European company coming to the U.S., it's okay to be more open. It's okay to engage a bit more. It's okay to um, to be sort of part of a part of that experience. It's just more open here uh, culturally. Another thing we see in Latin America is working with influencers is actually more like a one-to-one -one affair. So similar to doctor visits, um, they frequently have nutrition visits where they'll bring food products to dietitians' offices, in clinics, in hospitals, and tell them, you know, show them the products very much like a medical visit. Um, that's something that happens very commonly in Brazil and in Mexico um, areas. Um, for example, in Africa, it's a very community-based, so you really want to make sure that you're targeting a big community group are really who the health influencers are. It's not necessarily the dietitian doctor that's in the clinic one-to-one, -one. it's more the ones that are educating broad community groups or school groups. Um, so really making sure that uh, the means of, of doing this connection is really relevant in the, in the um, country that you're working in because it is different place by place. Thanks to Julie, you should now have a solid strategy for convincing consumers to try something new and a clear path of what to do 
and not do to educate consumers about the health benefits, uses, and cultural context of a new product. All you need now is the next big superfood, which unfortunately is a topic for another day. Until then, thanks for tuning in and listening. For Food Navigator USA, I'm Elizabeth Crawford. 